Namaste. As part of the writings of Shurabindo series, today we take up a brief introduction to the life divine, mainly about the book. And uh, we'll later on a whole series or first a summary of the different um, different section and then a series will subsequently be there. But today we just take a brief introduction of the book itself. So this is regarded as a seminal work of philosophy along with Savitri. It's the magnum opus. It is the complete... Um, Whatever Shirobindo has to say in terms of uh, the integral wisdom and all its workings is there in the life divine and Savitri. The difference is the life divine is like the Gita which is being given in a certain form whereas Savitri is like flute so it's music. <laughs> uh, music which goes straight to the soul. And depending on each one's uh, preferences people have a tendency towards one or the other my preferences both and all the other works of Shurabindo and the mother because each is a marvel and, and a beauty and a wonder and a joy. So the life divine primarily as I said is a work of philosophy but Shurabindo himself said something very interesting. He said, I am primarily a, uh, his field were poet and politics. These two things came very naturally to him. By politics, of course, he is referring to Rashtra Dharma, the movement of the nations through the larger cycles of civilizations. He is not referring to politics as party politics the way we understand. So, these two came very naturally to him. He says, philosophy, nothing, nothing, nothing. There was nothing of the philosopher in him. Which uh, we, we, of course, uh, are hell-bent upon turning Shurabindu into philosopher. And thereby making it so much difficult and distant. So then what is there in the life divine? The origin is that uh, when mother and her husband had come and they wanted, um, they started the Arya and uh, they were keen that Shurabindo writes the philosophy and the metaphysics of whatever he has experienced. Then because he had taken it that a yogi can write anything. And they left after leaving 64 pages of the Arya every month. So that is how the Live Divine started in August 1916 and ended in August, uh, ended in 1919. So it was written because a yogi can do anything, therefore the Live Divine was written. But he says very clearly, it was very easy for me because I was not truly speaking, philosophizing. I had seen things... By and known them by direct experience and I was simply stating them. So normally philosophy is an exercise of the mind. It starts from whatever observation we have made and from there we start mentalizing, rationally putting the threads. Uh, but here he had seen things. Take for example, we look at this world and if we start really looking the way the stars are woven into space and the way plants work, the way you know, even stones are formed, the way seas uh, and rivers, they spring up, mountains come up, human nature, all its complexity. We can infer that there is a consciousness or a conscious intelligence which is working behind creation. This is philosophy, but we have to provide the missing links of logic. We have to take it ifs and buts, the, the opposition, you know, there could be a very opposite way of looking at it, different way of looking at it. And then you arrive at a, some kind of a synthesis. But 
what for sure bindo he saw that conscious intelligence he identified with it so he described in this way that how the conscious intelligence operates he has the full knowledge but he is now taking us step by step let's take an example the first person who has discovered that there is a possibility of uh, let's say driving a car on the road so how the car is built he is applying his mind step by step and eventually he says there is the possibility that one can drive a car on the road with sure window he is the driver of the car which he has built so now when he is describing to us he will still start by describing the car the body and step by step but there is a difference because all the missing links he knows already so that's how the life divine came into existence and being an important work it was revised extensively actually though the first edition came out in 1939 uh, in first part and then there are two parts of the book two books rather book 1 is single and book 2 has two parts uh, 28 chapters 28 chapters both the books so he revised it started revising it extensively in 1943 44 and finally it was published in one single book in 1949 so during revisions he made extensive revisions so there were many chapters seven eight chapters from the arya which were completely removed and many other chapters were elaborated in great detail so the final outcome because very often people read from the arya arya is available in some places so that's okay but actually we must know that there was an extensive revision done subsequently and finally the book that came into the hands of humanity as a gift of grace his grace among the many prashads that shri binda has given to us one of them is the life divine and uh, it's it's really to read life divine is really a delight so uh, people often say oh philosophy so they tend to shrink from reading philosophy but if we find that life divine is very difficult please go and read kant hegel and uh, even shankaracharya <laughs> vivek chudamani then you will say oh this is quite easy because this is not philosophy the way we understand of course there is the problem of english robindo's english is um, it's worth learning english to just read the life divine and ask me because savitri's english is relatively simple its form is difficult because it's a poetry in a, a different kind of meter or no meter that's how i prefer but people would say i am big pentameter But, but the words the language is very simple i mean relatively simple but life divine language is not not so simple but if we don't have the language equipment then we should read it at least to develop the intelligence and the language see shubhita describes how he learned sanskrit so he did not start learning sanskrit by uh, you know a simple book like we learned अहम त्वा किम नामम अस्ति आई डोंट नो आई मीन दैट्स नरम नरो नथिंग ही पिक्ड अप कालिदास एंड वाल्मीकि एंड ही लर्न संस्कृत फ्रॉम देयर सो दिस एग्जांपल ऑलवेज मेड मी फील हैप्पी दैट इज दोस हु डू नॉट नो इंग्लिश दे डोंट हैव टू लर्न इंग्लिश टू रीड द लाइफ डिवाइन इट्स एनफ दैट यू नो लिटिल बिट एंड देन यू रीड द लाइफ डिवाइन यू विल लर्न इंग्लिश सो इट विल सर्व टू पर्पसेस and even if we don't understand at least that contact with shurbindo's consciousness will come through this book precisely because book is a medium to come in contact 
with the consciousness of the author and uh, this was very well known in to all yogis and that's why they say shabd brahmati vartate go beyond the word so going beyond the word is interpreted in one way that you know uh, just completely discard it many people have this tendency to say no beyond the word means what is hidden behind the word even in ordinary human conversation it's so important when people catch the word there are fights and quarrels when people go behind the word then there is understanding because you see what what is that consciousness behind it and actually to understand the word you have to understand the consciousness of the person so this is how the life divine works beautifully this was a book uh, just to mention it was nominated for the nobel prize uh, it was um, you know people like perles buck and many others nobel laureates had recommended it in 1951 not before because 1949 the complete book was published in usa so in 1951 some of these people had recommended the book for nobel prize and then the mother said something which that's why i paused she said thankfully they, they didn't have it the reason was very strange one reason was it is not awarded posthumously so shubhendra is not there in his physical body so we can't consider this but imagine putting shubhendra in the galaxy of nobel laureates is way beyond actually you can't put it in that any slot so this is the other difficulty with life divine that people often uh, find it difficult because there are long sentences so shubhendra himself has said he has used long sentences because truth is rounded and if you have to describe it in totality through the agency of human speech you have to use long sentences for example if i have to describe just this room so one way is oh this is a wonderful room look at the ceilings the cornices the wall and floor and everything i can describe a few colors but that's not what the room is now if you have to describe the room in totality you can describe either with small small pauses comma full stop or you can give a all comprehensive 4d not 3d 4d bringing in the fourth dimension view of the room and string it together as a sentence so actually when i look at shudvindo's long sentences i found i find them as masterpieces just there is a delight just to read those long sentences i'll just take one example the very first uh, sentence in the life divine in the first chapter the human aspiration the sentence runs into almost five lines the earliest preoccupation of man in his awakened thoughts shubhendra could have uh, stopped here and continued but he puts and and a comma and as it seems his inevitable and ultimate preoccupation so it's not just the earliest preoccupation why because we often say oh earliest primitive societies were seeking for god he says no it continues to run as a stream for it survives the longest periods of skepticism and returns after every banishment <laughs> 
So you have these seekings which rise to a height, then they lapse like a wave. But the waves never die. It pushes itself into another wave. And there is a third wave and a fourth wave. So it survives the longest periods of skepticism and returns after every banishment is also the highest which his thought can envisage. So now when we look at this, of course, among the smaller ones, <laughs> but so beautiful, such a rounded. And that's why to read these sentences, the mother advises, read a little, read it slowly. We don't have to rush through. Now imagine if we read the same thing. The earliest preoccupation of man in his awakened thoughts and as it seems, his inevitable and ultimate preoccupation. This is not the way to read. The mother says, read a little, pause at every little comma, ponder over it, reflect over it. And then another method which I have myself felt very comfortable about. I have not practiced that much, but I feel that works very well, is the way the Vedas were remembered. So, for example, if I read this sentence and then I come to it manifests itself in the divination of Godhead. The impulse towards perfection. The search after pure truth and unmixed bliss. The sense of a secret immortality. So, two sentences. Now, before going to the third, we read the two sentences again. And then the third, then the second and the third, then the third and the fourth. It is amazing because then not only can we enjoy because, you know, sometimes if you are not accustomed to reading, we lose the links. Very often people say, Ki, kya kaha tha? Now that's because of the problem of concentration. But if we read the life divine, the concentration will develop. So, one of the best ways for our own all-round development is to read the life divine. So, that's about the sentences. And then we see, if we see the, take a look at the book. It's a, it's a book of philosophy running through 28 and 28 chapters. So, 56 chapters all in all. And in book 1... So, what he is doing, he is building up a whole mansion of God. I look at it like that. So, how do you build a mansion of God? So, he is starting with all the bricks that have gone into building this mansion of God. What is this mansion of God? This universe. Now, this universe is not just the material universe. There is a universe beyond the material and there is a universe beyond and beyond and multiple system of worlds. This is just the mansion. So, seeing this mansion is wonderful. There are yogis who have seen. Narsi Mehta, for example, sings this beautiful line. Nikhil Brahmand me ek tu hi hari. In this entire universe, I see you and you and you and you alone. Now, this is wonderful. To a poet, to a mystic, to a devotee, this is nothing else required. But to a philosopher and a thinker, how did Hari build this universe? <laughs> so we see there are many links which are missing. Is Hari just a witness? If he is a witness, how this universe came into existence? And if he is not just a witness but has gone into this universe, making this universe... So when we use the word making, where did he get the substance from? So now you see, 
there are two truths which will come in. Often we say this analogy, God built this universe, all of us, Marty say, you know, he made it out of clay. So where did the clay come from? Did he do some magic and bring out clay? From where did he bring out clay? It cannot but be from him. You see, this little change changes everything. So in the clay, something of his is there already. And then what is that force which has gone into building this mansion? So there must be a force. And along with this force, there must be countless workers who have built this mansion. It's not just a force working randomly. And along with these workers, there must be a principle, a design, a master plan, the grand blueprint. So when we know all this and then, who dwells in the mansion? The Lord. But why has he built these mansions for himself? And who am I? What is my role? All these questions create the comprehensive idea of reality. That's why the knowledge that Sri brings here, very often people ask that, you know, uh, they use the word integral Advaita. It is actually not, in my view, this is not the correct word. Because uh, we'll come to that a little later. This word is used. But he, Sri speaks of integral knowledge. And there is Advaita. But what that Advaita is, just in a moment uh, we'll share. So there is integral knowledge and it means Samagra Gyan where you have the, like the Gita speaks of, rare is the yogi who knows me as Samagram Maam. In all the details there is this knowledge operating. It weaves the stars, it climbs up in thought, it blossoms in a flower. It is there behind our casual footsteps in stumbles and fall. It is the power that lifts us up, shows us the direction, even makes us err. Creates us opposition and challenges, evil and suffering and pain. Now this is the totality of knowledge. So this integral knowledge we find here. What about, what is this Vedantic Darshan? That's what often people ask. What is Shurabindu's Advaita? Shurabindu himself has written. We don't have to go anywhere. In one of his letters he writes, what he, he says, if you want to use the term, there are two kinds of Advaita. Advaita means one without his second. So there is only one reality. So what about all these cognitive experiences that we are having? So there is, he says, there is an illusionist Advaita. Illusionist Vedanta, which simply says this is illusion born out of ignorance. Moha. Moha has created this illusion, this is real, this is real. They are not real. Of course, it leaves many questions unsolved because of which you have different schools of philosophies. The question is, then who is experiencing? He is experiencing. There is no second one who is experiencing. How come he who is pure, undimmed, Luminous light of lights. He is experiencing this world as moha. And if I am experiencing, who is this I? Is it real or is it not real? So all these questions come in. So Sri has used the word for his Advaita. There is an illusionist Advaita and there is a realistic Vedanta. So this is a realistic Vedanta. By that if you translate it into Hindi... Then you have a term which is not found in the classical canons of traditional Vedantic literature. The literal meaning is Yatharthvad. 
Yatharthvadi Vedant. What does it mean? It takes into account everything as, as if it is real. You can't take this approach here that this is, this is to God, this is some illusion, this is some human error. <laughs> All this is there, human error is there, everything is there. But you have to see it in the larger scheme of God vision. That's what we see in Savitri. Even our least stumblings are foreseen above. There is a meaning in each turn of fate, in each curve and line. So this is the, um, he uses the word realistic Vedanta. And what that realistic Vedanta is, very simply, that Brahman is real, of course. Now Brahman is the term used in Vedanta, but we could, we could, one could use another term. Brahman is real. But because this world has come out of the real, therefore world too is real. Very beautifully in one of his Sanskrit writings, uh, which is now goes by the name of Shirvind Upanishad. Shirvind didn't use the word Upanishad, but style is of Upanishad. He says, Brahma Satyam Namithya, Jagat Satyam Namithya. Why? Because it has come out of that. So then the question is, then what is the relation of Brahman with the Jagat? So in that we see different schools. And there is a school which says, well, one school illusionist completely says that there is no such thing. Another school accepts the temporal reality. So there is a passing reality. But this reality is only to help the soul grow and return back to its origin. So it raises more questions again every time you answer. (laughs) Then who put you in here? So all these questions come up. But here the world is accepted as a temporal reality where the soul experiences pain and suffering and joy and happiness as terms of its growth. And there is a reason why it goes through all this. But its end point is to suddenly become aware that no, I am in a spell of moho. It's like a person in a dream. That's how it is described. So one is that dream is unreal. Second is there is a reality of the dream while you are in it. But when you wake up, but there is a third position that the dream itself is helping you to move towards that. So here a better thing is like a cinema hall. So when we are watching a cinema unfold, everything has been planned, the cinema is there and we are experiencing through identification. We are experiencing pain, we are experiencing joy, we are experiencing suffering. What is self-realization? Suddenly you say, but who, who is experiencing all this? You just here in a blink of a moment, you discover this is a play. You can just turn your attention away from that. And you know that you, you were always free. Nobody, you are not bound. None is bound. None is free. None is seeking to be free. You are, that's it. You have chosen to walk into the theatre, but you can choose to come out anytime because you are not bound by the theatre. You are not bound by any compulsion that you have to watch the whole movie. Imagine if you go to a cinema hall and one they lock the door from outside. <laughs> you better watch the whole film. Don't get up in between. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> so there is no such compulsion. Now this is another position, but Shurabindo doesn't take either. All these have their truth. There is a truth of Maya. There is a truth of Leela. But he takes a third position which is not there in any of the Vedanta. And it can be described as, I am just speaking different places from the life divine. One is, being is becoming. 
very simply that being the divine he is becoming all this there is no end point he continues to become so the example is of a person who is writing a book so the author who wrote the mahabharata veda vyas so we can say that what is mahabharata but it's a creation of veda vyas what is in him has been brought out if you see isolated chapters draupadi chiraran you will see a horror show how could a man like ved vyas even conceive such a dirty picture image no that's what will be when you read the mahabharata in totality oh because of this the entire kuru clan had to finish because you have now read the whole mahabharata when you have not read the mahabharata just read the initial few chapters then you say what is this story of kings and civilized that's how people sometimes describe clash of civilizations but when you read it with awakened eye then what you do you say it is the story of krishna you see is that's how the mahabharata picture seen in totality and picture seen in bits and parts so but is vyas limited to the book no there are other works that vyasa has written compiled the vedas for example is compiled puranas and other works shrimad bhagavat puran and vyasa still remains someone greater than that now this explains to us the entire beautiful you know uh, story of creation as revealed in the life divine what is the first phase we are suddenly withdraws he says there is a great poem which is taking shape inside me hatching it's like an egg it just withdraws and he goes into a state all authors do that before the creative surge so that state when you withdraw all your consciousness and concentrate it on one single point that is involution the tree concentrates all its energy into the seed proof is every seed is the tree in making so involution is when the entire divine consciousness concentrate concentrates narrow down narrow down into the into what into the idea of creation and then ultimately by narrowing down it's lost in it so if somebody picks up a seed and says what is in it if you say it's a tree the scientific minded will understand ki okay yes basically you are right but the very hard core materialist will say no it's only a lump of matter so this is the difference that's why this analogy is given in one of the upanishads to understand consciousness split open the seed and ultimately what is there consciousness so there is a real idea which has gone into creation and that idea is if i use the upanishadic language the one wanted to become many eko ham bahushyam so he, now this one wanted to become many not just many forms each form must be he himself must represent something of himself so then we understand the entire creation mountain represents something of the divine tapasya the river exp- 
you know, manifest something of the divine. Movement, gati, life. That's why rivers are rivers of life. Tree represents something else. Fire, something else. So entire creation forms are representing something of the divine reality. Because within it, the idea of the divine is sown inside. And this idea must arrive at its full blossoming. Why he has created it? For two reasons. Why? There is no why in the ultimate sense. <laughs> a writer doesn't write, okay, I should write, why should I write it? No. It's a creative surge. He expresses what is inside. But we can use that word, unity in diversity. That's one. And second is, the delight of oneness becomes delight of many. And here we can go back to Ramayana and Valmiki. If you read the Ramayana as such, you will, uh, you know, find such beauty, wonder, all the characters, you know, Rama is there and Sita is there and all, Ravan is there, Hanuman is there, it's so wonderful. So, you take joy in everything. But if you just meet, let us say, somebody went and said, I'll meet Valmiki, I don't want to read the Ramayana. So, he may well come back after interviewing Valmiki, but dry hai. Because he has... He has not known what is there inside Valmiki. He has met him on the surfaces of life. So this is exactly how to understand this creator and creation are one. And this is the constant process which is going on. So once the involution takes place, then there is the emergence. This idea goes inside. What I want to write, ultimately it begins to take shape. And then you have the book starting from first letter. To the last. As somebody says in Valmiki Ramayana, I always love this story. How did it start? Apparently. Now people, now I'm not going into all the possible controversies of did it, did it not. But I love this story. That Valmiki saw, there were two crunch birds, they were meeting together, making love. And there was a Vyad, killed the bird with an arrow and the those birds in the mating, they rent a great cry. The male bird rent a cry at the, seeing the death of its partner. And that moment, his heart melted. And a new meter came into his heart and expressed itself. And that meter became the meter for the Ramayana. It's a lovely story where, you know, it's born from an experience. Now, what is Ramayana? You see, it is the coming together of two by the power of love and separation and the tragedy. It's very interesting. It is the coming together of the divine soul and matter. It is, that scope has become so wonderful. Rama is the divine soul and Sita is... Uh, you know, Bhumija, the daughter of the earth. It's so wonderful that that one, that idea develops into something so. So, where do, what is that idea which, over which the divine broods? That is the supermind. So, the divine, when he broods, he broods upon this idea. And what holds this idea is the supermind. Then the supermind starts this process of releasing this idea. Sows it in inconscience. 
and then carries each thing in its own way. That's the beauty. So this is a very beautiful chapter here. Those who want to take, means intellectually comprehend the supermind. I mean, it's, <laughs> the word is a non-starter. But get a glimpse of the supermind. There are two doors. One is of course by the psychic door. And there is a reason for it. Because the soul is formed in one of the poises of the supermind. There are three poises of the supermind. That's where the Jivatma is formed. It brings out of itself. Why? Because for the play of multiplicity. So there are three poises of the supermind. One when it is stands behind and is aware of the entire unity. But multiplicity is still vague. It is there. Next comes the stage when multiplicity. So comprehending consciousness becomes apprehending. So multiplicity which must manifest. So each of us owe our origin there. That is the original central being of man beyond time and space. And then it enters into creation where each object represents some aspect or the other through the representative supermind. So we see so simply like any other creation. So these three levels he describe very beautifully. And then finally it has to completely lose itself in that idea like in the seed. That's how Vidya becomes Avidya. And then the journey starts. So the life divine is the journey of man. And journey of man, I shouldn't sound racist, journey of woman and man. <laughs> and that which is neither man nor woman, the human aspiration, that is the, or rather the two together, because Shivindo keeps on reminding us that there is no gem without its luster. Now, can you separate the two? Can you say there is luster and no gem? Or can you say there is gem and there is a gem without luster? Means nothing. And a luster without gem? Again, <laughs> nothing. The two are together. The sun and its energy and its rays. Agni, heat and light. The being of Agni and the force of Agni. They are always together. So, several places we see Shobindo brings out this unity of creation. Purusha and Prakriti, they seem to and it's important for our practical purposes. But in deep essence they are one. Divine and his Shakti, Ishwara and his Shakti, they seem as if they are two but they, in essence they are one. So, first in book one, omnipresent reality and the universe. And this journey starts with human aspiration. This is Agni, which is leading the march of mankind forward. And initially it conceals itself in matter. So there is Jada Agni. So there is that energy which is driving matter. Then slowly it releases itself as life. And it becomes seekings of life. Then this energy reveals, you know, brings out mind and becomes all the strivings of the mind to know, search for knowledge, quest. And then that same fire reveals itself in the spiritual consciousness as illumination and power of the divine in various degrees and then it recovers into its supramental fullness. So this is the human aspiration. But it starts from earliest dawns of mankind. And so you see such a beautiful connectivity. And if we connect at this level with all of us, the problems of, lot of problems will be solved. 
People fight, why? Because on the surface we are divided Differentiated We may be divided by custom, language, culture, tradition, nationality, whatever it is But is the aspiration different? <laughs> it's the same aspiration marching through the march of civilizations Through battle and clashes and periods of peace And then once again war All these rise and fall of empires The journey of human aspiration and then he says it takes two roots The ascetic's denial I don't care, I want to know the truth of God Which is the first thing to know, of course He says there can be no divine life Without knowing the divine And the other is Where it takes other root Where it starts to search the truth in matter Whatever we can conceive through Our tangible sense experience Journey to the life divine I always take it that all experiences are Part of a single plan Because we are now talking of two extremes The ascetic's refusal and the materialist denial Going around this world is all <laughs> And the other is the divine is all So it takes these two roots And then he brings in the reality omnipresent Through either route Ultimately you will discover you can't help it because there is nothing but one reality. It's hidden in matter. It is revealed on the peaks of the spirit. So there is this reality omnipresent and then he brings to all philosophy must tell us three things. One is, who am I? What is this world? I mean two things. What is my relation with the world? This is what is the whole subject matter. Who am I? We must know. But knowing that is not enough because I am living in a world. I must know what is my right relation with the world. If I don't know it, there will be chaos and confusion. And this takes us to the third truth, without which we cannot know these two. And that is the common element, the divine self. Or rather we put it as three questions. Who am I? What is this world? And what is my relation with the world? So he starts describing one by one. Man in the universe, destiny of the individual, the ego and the dualities. And then, Satchitanand, he takes up each aspect. Satchitanand is Sat, pure existence. Chit is Chit Tapas, conscious force. And Ananda. So it's very interesting the way he, the pure existent, which is about Sat, Satchitanand, Sat. What is pure existence? Conscious force. Chit tapas Force is inherent in consciousness Because what the consciousness sees It creates In the origin The will, omniscience and omnipotence Are together And the third term is of course Omnipresence So divine who is omnipresent Is at once omniscient and omnipotent He cannot say ki, I am omniscient I can know all things But I am helpless Please call in somebody else to act. He's both together. So it is chit tapas, consciousness force. And the third is ananda. So conscious force and then ananda he takes up at great length because ananda is the stream that runs through creation. It's easy to understand existence. There is some existence. Doesn't matter. Limited, big, small. No questions about it. It's perishable. But then we all know that new forms come up. That's not really a problem so much Second is consciousness 
so we can again see that there are limited consciousness greater consciousness higher consciousness vaster consciousness inconscient where consciousness seems to have lost itself but delight is a problem that is what our problem is that this world has been created by anandmay why there is pain and suffering see this is the challenge to the human experience it's okay yes come out of existence of course existence and consciousness are the original mysteries but okay we can understand everything exists i exist you exist there is no issue about it <laughs> everything has some degree of consciousness no issue about it some degree of force no problem but why there is pain and suffering in a world created by god this is where the buck stops so he takes up delight of existence the problem delight of existence the solution and therein he brings two terms the vidyamayi maya and the vidyamayi maya when you know oneness there is solution when you don't know oneness there is a problem and let's see in a family which used to exist a uh, long time back <laughs> where people actually regarded each other in the house as one family there was a time when even in tribes there used to be sanja chula so there was a sense of commonality so there if supposing your brother came and hit you and then you look back and you realize oh bhaiya hai ha bhaiya kya hua you don't get angry or annoyed you know that pain is no more pain but a learning experience to aise kar you do this this way okay bhaiya you have that trust this as i said a family that exists long long back so but when you don't understand that don't experience life like that then we all know that part what happens now when we begin to experience the entire creation like that then it will not be pain our whole way of approaching understanding and operating in the world will change that's why shubhendu says fraternity is the key when he speaks about in in the human cycle unity equality fraternity he says fraternity is the key without it you can't build so fraternity means there are individuals you can have unity sense of unity world is one it doesn't help because i am an individual <laughs> i still have a problem and equality also you can conceive that all are equal but fraternity is the real problem because each individual has to now relate with every other individual so this divine maya creates there two one is vidyamayi where the individuals are joined in the one and avidyavai where it they appear separate that's where the problem starts and then of course he speaks of the supermind as creator we have already just spoken about it so this is very simple when people say what is supermind are is the creator only we don't understand how the creator has operated and created this world so he brings in this supermind if you go beyond the supermind creator in is in this poise you ask him who are you nothing don't define me <laughs> so sir what are you doing nothing i am not impelled to act so this is poise of the creator is one ekame vidityam then suddenly there is a force which stirs him what is that force his own force the divine mother and he leans forward sir what about now wait
something will happen. <laughs> See now, this is the the same creator appears as Sachidananda Parabrahma beyond all events, circumstances, transcendent. But the same Sachidananda leans towards creation. That becomes creator. Third point when he comes a little closer, okay, now I am going to create. So what is going on inside you? Now this what is going on inside the creator, we may use the word the mind of God, we may use the word thought of God, we can use the word idea within him, is the super mind. Nothing else, the creator. And along with this idea, there is the power. So in the super mind level or poise, if you ask the creator, he'll tell you the entire story. This is me, this is creation, this is the link. So that's why for divine life, we need to know the super mind. We can discover the creator from anywhere because he is everywhere, omnipresent reality. But we will discover him in that poise where he is, if you approach him, he will say, Na me pancha dhatu, na this, na dit, na tato, na mato, na bandhu, na brata. Chidananda rupam shivoham shivoham. He will say, sir, that is okay. But here I am experiencing nirananda and all kinds of opposites. He will say, wait. To understand that, you have to understand another poise of mind. And that is the super mind. Where you have the secret key to the entire creation and its link with the Supreme Divine. So there is the supermind. And then he speaks about the triple status of supermind, which is a wonderful chapter. And I just had spoken about it, the divine soul. Then he compares mind and supermind, life, death, problem of life, the double soul in man, the true soul and the desired soul. We often say, I feel like it. That's the subjective soul, which is thus the desired soul, which we mistake to be the real. Even with nations this happens. Like he says very interestingly that Germany sought its soul and found its vital being. That's how it created chaos. All nations are now searching for their soul. If you mistake the soul for the vital being, then the nations become very aggressive. What does vital being want? To expand, to destroy, to demolish. So, the difference between soul and the the true soul and the false soul, these are terms have been used, not that there is anything like a false soul, but it's mistaken for the soul, for the self, is this ego individuality. So he speaks of all that and then it touches the real not matter. All this is wonderful. But isme bandhe, tied to matter like a sacrificial goat. See the goat, it's tied with a rope to a kuta. With its neck. So this is the image of perfect. So the neck is, to which it is tied is the mind. It is trying to be free. Because it knows it is tied, it is wanting to be free. Rope is life. It makes it move around. But matter holds it firmly. (laughs) Unless you open that knot, all the goats moving around has no meaning. Its bleating has no meaning. Mind may say, want. Life may say. Unless by some means they cut the whole problem. So the goat can be released if it is sacrificed. (laughs) But that's not the purpose. And Shubhita speaks of it. The purpose is fulfillment. So, 
he speaks about matter, the knot of matter, the ascending series of substance, supermind, mind and the overmind, maya, all these are beautiful, amazing chapters. We have done that and eventually, you know, all this will come out. And then in book two, we have the knowledge and the ignorance and spiritual evolution. Now, what he does here, he reconciles the opposite. This is exactly how the Isha Upanishad operates. So, if you see Isha Upanishad, it reconciles the opposites. It reconciles work in the world and inner freedom. It reconciles nature and the lord of nature. It reconciles creation and the creator. That's how it. It reconciles birth and non-birth. It reconciles Vidya and Avidya. It reconciles the divine as the perfect purity, immune from everything and yet becoming this which is false. But in very uh, short-term statements. So, Shubhita says, the Isha Upanishad gives the basis of the life divine. It reconciles, but one has to dig deeper to get that inner sense. But this much if one reads the Ishupanishad, this much is clear that this antagonism is false. There is a link which we are missing. So when it uses the word Lord, he who has gone abroad, it's all hinting at the supermind. That's why in the Ishupanishad, Yagnavalk says, Tattvam Pushana Pavranu Satya Dharmaya Drishtai Hiranvayana Patrana. It's all about the supermind which is reconciling. But it's not developed because it's a glimpse from afar. Shubhindo doesn't go afar. He tears the veil, centers, sees the truth and comes back and giving us. That is the difference. So then part two, we have infinite consciousness and the ignorance. Again, lovely chapter, indeterminates, cosmic determinants and the indeterminable. This used to be my question. How does water become water because two molecules are added? Why doesn't it become something else? So it was conjured in one of the songs in one of the movies. Anda kya jane kiska kya hoga, you know, I remember. What is the destiny of the egg? Why inside the egg of a hen, there will be a chick? Of course, there is genetics, we all know. But genetics doesn't answer. Genetics is a process. And that makes it even more confounding the mystery. Why out of these 20, you know, amino acids and bases, why, what is clicking the right steps at the right time? Through random accidents, through all the challenges, it will end up becoming the tree which it is destined to become. What determines this process? I used to be fascinated that, you know, what, what is guiding the genes? Genes are there, okay. But what are the switches? So, And who is the one who is saying, click now, at this point of time, your heart is being formed inside the womb. Another time, click, the fontanelle must start closing. All the proteins will be made, everything according to that. So there is something which is, this conscious force is operating inside it. So what is that which is determining? And then Brahman, Purusha, Ishwara, Maya, Prakriti, Shakti. And we know the, the wonderful joke about this when Amrita and two others were reading. And suddenly mother was passing by. What are you reading? Mother, the life divine. What are you reading in the life divine? Mother, Brahman, Purusha, Ishwara, but we understand nothing. So mother smiled and hit their head here. Went up. They went into trance. They are having Brahman experience. <laughs> Actually, she comes back and sees they are all in trance. She brings them back. 
you know my child we can i can give you brahman experience like this but we are not here for this but for something else the manifestations leelaarth but in the true sense so this world from the inconscient the whole machinery is to manifest the divine now this brings a completely new dimension it's neither maya nor leela because leela is it's a play but play could be without any purpose i may design a play and it may be very enjoyable for some time and then that's it the play is over but when we use the word manifestation ishwar ka prakatan there are no equivalent philosophies so when we read the life divine get rid of all these ideas if they are there dvaitvad advaitvad vedant please keep them aside if one has read it then it will be so easy otherwise all the time it's jostling in the mind wahan ye likha hai there this is written and i'm saying this in all sincerity having read all these works uh, all these different systems of philosophy to keep it aside should be bring something entirely new the terms may be similar i mean there are same terms he's using maya but giving us a new sense of the word maya he's using the word brahman but the way he for instance he says brahman when it is extends itself it becomes space when there is mobility it becomes time so brahman becomes space and time meaning thereby by contemplating space you can reach a point where you touch brahman by contemplating the movement of time from its origin till future you can experience that reality it's automatically because through everything we can enter into it so then he describes these opposites reality and the illusion cosmic illusion knowledge and ignorance memory ego and self experience and then the different forms of knowledge how this ignorance has come and most importantly eternal and the individual so there are three terms of the one divine existence one is the transcendent this is described beautifully in the uh, four theories of existence so one is of course the common place terrestrial which means material universe everything comes out of that then supra terrestrial no there are other layers there is something beyond matter material world supraterrestrial is typically used by religions there is one life certain religions not all religions not sanatan dharma there is one life after death you have the cosmic existence i mean supraterrestrial some heaven hell god knows some something is there beyond this terrestrial it remains vague then there is cosmic now cosmic means there are ladders of consciousness numerous worlds but cosmic again can lean on something greater or simply explain everything as nature but this is the second way to understand everything as cosmic vast in all the system of worlds so we see the gradation of worlds in indian thought and there is the transcendent or extra supra cosmic so reality is on all these levels it is the transcendent who has become this cosmic field to manifest himself and has created the gradation of worlds as the condition and then the individual as the nodus through which he will express himself so it's very beautiful the entire cycle is complete so the transcendent the cosmic and the individual and then because of this need of manifestation there is a need of rebirth if there is no progressive manifestation there is no need of rebirth the divine has to be you know be image him like a ceo reward and punishment reward and punishment but if you have to manifest 
then you have to allow for error as a means of progress. You cannot have the fullness of the divine in one lifetime. So you have rebirth. So he explains the philosophy of rebirth, order of the worlds, man and the evolution and then the evolution of the spiritual man. Now Sri comes after building the entire superstructure, the narrative force. Sir, what, I, what am I doing? Tell me something about myself. He will say, see, I was building all these mansions so that you may dwell here. Sir, as what? I'll be slave, servant. Yes, you start with that. But become slave of God, not a slave of ignorance. Then, sir, after that, then you will become a knower of God. Sir, after that, you will become a lover of God. Sir, after that, you will become myself because I have become you. Then you own the mansion as much as he owns the mansion. That is the ultimate peak. So why we will have the difference? For the joy of it. For the manifestation of supramental love. Intensities. It's like you are bringing out of yourself. You know that the other is also yourself. And then there is the delight of that meeting, that joining, that creation, that dance, that rapture. So for that, we need to go through that process which he describes as the triple transformation. So spiritual evolution of man has started long back. Countless sages, seers, rishi, muni, various efforts, glimpses here and there. But it's not complete. It is still a going on process. Where will this evolution lead ultimately? It will lead us to the doors of the supermind. It has led some mystics to the doors of the supermind. But when they saw and they glimpsed, they said, My God, if I have to use a Bengali expression, they say, Uri Baba. Oh my God. Literally, that's what the expression means. Oh my God. <laughs> means you are before a wonder of wonders, glory of glories. You don't know. You have come up to here, traveling through a path, but here you are encountered by something which completely escapes all that has been part of your journey. So what do you do there? You get literally absorbed into that. That's what it has happened. Ultimate. But now he says, no, now more and more individuals are getting ready to bring that truth and express it into life. So we won't only stop with, oh my God. We'll say, oh my God will manifest through me and through this universe and through each one. So that is the process of triple transformation, psychic, spiritual, supramental and ascent towards supermind and there he closes with these two, the Gnostic being and the divine life. So Gnostic being will be the being of knowledge. Gnostic means knowledge. But here is not knowledge in terms of ability to give lectures and write books. It is knowledge that is spontaneous, revelatory, intuitive and if I may use the word supra-intuitive because even intuition is still the race. Supramental, the difference between intuition and supramental narcissus. Intuition is like a sudden lightning and it shows a whole field. And the supramental narcissus, the sun has come up. So it shows not that field which is lit up but the entire field. So intuitive knowledge, some rare Rishis have reached over mental knowledge comes in between. Over mental knowledge where you experience the whole creation based on one aspect of the divine. You see love everywhere. Or you see truth everywhere. Or you see wisdom everywhere. But the Gnostic being though it is the word Gnostic is used but this knowledge will be one with love 
an instinct with the delight of existence all these power delight knowledge and love they will be intimately woven together as described in savitri that all the different musics were in a beautiful harmonious concord they were there waiting in his laugh manifesting through his smile that is the supramental godhead in whom all this will discover so the destiny of man is to become a gnostic being the aspiration and it be fulfilled as the divine life so what is the divine life it is the collective aspect gnostic being is an individual when gnostic beings are created here there everywhere then you will have the divine life so people often ask nowadays or will problem this problem everywhere they see problem problem means now we are near the solution otherwise we didn't even see a problem we were just doing kirtan bhajan uniting for some time what was that we are talking of oneness but this is not the way we can create collective harmony only if each one becomes a gnostic being and the more they become because each one will exercise an influence by his mere presence that we will see the society will develop into a a society of gnostic individuals that's how the mother puts it and when there are a reasonable number of gnostic individuals you will have the divine life upon earth and this experiment will go on in not in one place shobinda makes it very clear but in several islets here and there and everywhere whichever group is receptive we don't know which group is receptive and group is could be in physical space could sometime be even digital space but we want it in physical space <laughs> because ultimately this is the thing so this is the entire journey and the whole thing ends with this let me just read this last bit and then we can close so we read the first sentence of the first chapter let's read the last one the self the spirit the reality that is disclosing itself out of the first inconscience of life and matter would evolve its complete truth of being and consciousness in that life and matter it would return to itself or if its end as an individual is to return into the absolute its absolute it could make that return also not through a frustration of life but through a spiritual completeness not like abandoning the work halfway no 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 i want moksha fulfillment then you are free to be there here anywhere our evolution in the ignorance with its checkered joy and pain of self discovery and world discovery its half fulfillments its constant finding and missing is only our first state it must lead inevitably towards an evolution in the knowledge a self finding and self unfolding of the spirit a self revelation of the divinity in things in that true power of itself in nature which is to us still a supernature and when it begins an evolution is knowledge that's when the real beauty of the journey will begin that's what is called as the mind of light where the fundamental ignorance is gone and now the evolution has taken a very conscious leap that's why the mother says it is superman who will find the way towards the supramental transformation and as a last question 
People say he has spoken of divine life. What about divine body? Somebody asked this to Sherbindo. He said, oh that, it's a remote, distant possibility which will take place in a very, very far future. He has himself said, don't ask about, talk about it now. Don't start imagining things. Let's first establish the divine life upon earth and be Gnostic beings. He said it will happen as the inevitable logic. So he has foreseen. Just like the Vedic Rishis saw the supramental sun through the veil. But it took good about 10,000 years. <laughs> so the divine body is also a must inevitable that matter will transmute. He has spoken of that. But he never said that this is going to be now. Divine life is possible now. is already manifesting. And that's a big leap. It means completely we are freed from ignorance, suffering, pain, evil. And we are growing as beings of light. And then eventually, maybe whatever few hundred thousand years, we find the way towards ultimately transmuting the body itself. So that's the wonder and joy of the life divine. Namaste.